What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. What's up, Dream Nation? Back on the line again today. We are bringing you a hot and heavy episode. And I'm sure that this is going to be something fire. And the reason why I'm sure of that is because we have someone on here who is considered one of the world's leading business and mentors when it comes uh, to coaching. And so I'm excited to be talking to her today. Without further ado, Miss Sig Run, do you want to go ahead and say what's up to Dream Nation? Well, I am excited to be here to share how you can take your passion and turn it into a profitable online business, even in a recession. So I'm excited to talk about that, how you recession-proof your business and how you should always follow your dreams. Always. And that's what we're here for. That's why we are called Dream Nation. So I always like to start off with the proper introduction. And I like to consider us as entrepreneurs just like superheroes. Why is because we're constantly flying around, we're putting on capes and we're trying to solve different problems for other people and even for ourselves in the world. So before you being featured in all these major publications, before you being recognized across the world as one of the top mentors and business coaches, let's take it back to when you were just a young girl and tell me who is Sigrun? Well, I was brought up in the belief I could do anything, but I was brought up in Iceland, small country in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean with only 350,000 inhabitants. And even though my parents instilled this belief in me, there were several things that I did not think were possible, like becoming an author or, or you know, even a famous designer or an architect, because I just didn't see those role models. But at the age of nine, we had the first female president of Mm. the whole world. Mm. And I thought to myself, well, if she can be president, what's possible for me? So I started to dream a lot bigger as a young girl to see she was a single mother. She had adopted a child and she had just went through a cancer therapy where one of her breasts had been removed and her political components would even use that against her in the campaign. And she said, I'm not going to be feeding the nation. I'm going to be leading the nation. Hmm. So, <laughs> so that's where kind of the environment that I grew up in, seeing a woman become a president was very inspirational to me. And at the age of 20, I decided to, to move to Germany and study architecture. And, you know, that kind of took me on a, on a different path. It had been my dream to become an architect since I was 11 years old. I decided very young age. I don't know. I had this idea that I had to know what I will become when I grow up. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was nothing that my parents told me, but I guess you can see parents often ask their kids, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? And I took it really seriously. And I had to decide, I said, I have to know what I'm going to study or do or whatever. Uh, So at the age of six, I decided to become an author. Then uh, my parents or maybe some other people, I don't remember who exactly said, oh, you can't live from becoming an author. And the voices we hear at an early age, they stick with us. You can't live 
becoming an author. So I was like, okay, I have to do something else. And I thought I could become a teacher. And, you know, the teachers get lots of summer holidays. So I thought, oh, then I can still be an author. I just do it as a hobby. And then the teachers went on strike when I was 11 years old. And I asked my teacher, why are you going on strike? And he said, because they pay us a little. And I'm like, oh, so maybe becoming a teacher is not such a good idea. And then I decided I'm going to be an architect. You know, I liked houses. I liked drawing. And I just took this decision. And then nine years later, I found myself in Germany. And I learned German first. And then I studied architecture. And then shortly before graduation, I said, oh, I don't want to be an architect. It's not so much fun. <laughs> so I went into IT and started to work at IT companies and started to study computer science. So I have lots of degrees, but actually the more degrees I got, actually the less helpful it was in figuring out what I wanted. It actually made me very confused. Huh. And it wasn't until I suddenly found myself in a small software company uh, where suddenly the company was sold and I got the crazy idea I could become the CEO. I had no business degree and no business education and I got the job. So all the degrees I had before, well, I always think studying does help you in some way. You learn structured thinking and, you know, but ultimately my degrees did not help me get the job that I got. And I realized I was good at business so later on, I got a degree in business, but I got all my opportunities without a degree. Wow. So first off, I want to go back and I want to ask, you wrote a book at six. What was this book on? Well, it was actually just a story that was read on national radio. I think it was one assignment at school and then they would send in our stories and then they pick a few kids stories. And my story was about a cat which is really weird because I'm a dog person, but it, it, it gave me such a boost, you know, a confidence boost that my right. story was read on national radio. So I thought I'm going to be an author, Got but it. of course that, you know, that has not material yet. I haven't written my book yet. Got it. And so the thing that I love uh, about what you said and a big takeaway that I have from that is you have to protect your mindset because at a young age, it was tough for you to do that. And you're thinking like, oh man, like everybody's telling me that authors don't make any money. But yet if someone was to tell your kids that, and we all, a lot of us have younger people who look up to us, it's so important to protect that mindset to say you can do whatever you want to do because now you've said, hey, you know, you haven't wrote your first book yet. But if you would have started at that journey at the age of six and you would have had the right circle around you that said, hey, this is just one story, but keep writing, keep writing. And then by the age of maybe eight or nine, you may have been a full blown published author. Then by the age of, you know, 15, 17, you're talking about who knows. So that's yeah. why it's so important to protect your mindset. And it's unfortunate that that happened, but now hopefully that gives you room to be able to, you know, I guess, educate other people on why it's so important that at a young age, you do go after whatever it is your dream is. Cause it sounds like that you still have that in your heart as a passion project. Absolutely. I was 16 years old when I had this epiphany about like, you have, we have to make our dreams come true. I, I was doing my, uh, making my own clothes since the age of 12. And by the age of 16, I wanted to make, learn how to make patterns. 
So I did a course with a dressmaker, evening course after school. And all the other participants were women who were like in their 40s and 50s. So in the breaks, I would just keep quiet and listen to them. And all of them had dreams and they had not made them come true. Mm. And I got very frustrated, angry, upset, not at the women, but more like society. Like, why do these women not believe in themselves? Why are they using excuses like having children, being married, not having the money, time, skills? We know the typical excuses that we still hear today. But for me, this was like, I am not going to be one of these women. I'm going to make sure that in this age range, you know, 40s, 50s, I'm getting 50 soon, (laughs) that I will actually be like, hey, I always made my dreams come true. So I took a decision at the age of 16 that I would be the person to say that. And I can stand in front of you today and say, yes, I did. I have always made my dreams come true, but it was a decision. Right. And I was dis- I decided not to use excuses because, you know, it's, it's a fact. If we want something, we'll figure it out. We'll find the money. We'll find the time. We, we realize that you actually do not need all the skills to do something. And, you know, using kids or, or being married as an excuse, that's just sad. You know, imagine a child hearing a mother saying, I can't do this because of you. It should rather be a reason to do it right? because all of us have the opportunity to be a role model for the next generation. So I took this as a guiding light for me. So every time I was confronted with, even in a relationship or some other circumstances where I felt I couldn't make my dream come true, I took the decision for the dream. I love it. I love it. That's what we're all about here at Dream Nation. Now, you said the last thing that you left off of was that you became a CEO. You had no business degree or anything, but you used your skill set that you had already acquired. And then obviously building relationships with those who were hiring for it. And that was a combination to allow you to get that position. So talk to me about how do you transition because now you're in the corporate world and your mindset is always structured on schools and getting degrees and working at at small companies for other people. How do you transition from that to then becoming, hey, I can do my own thing? Well, some people are born entrepreneurs, you know, like from a young age, they're trying to sell you something. We hear these stories from Richard Branson and other famous entrepreneurs. And when I read those books, I thought to myself, I'm not an entrepreneur because I never tried to sell my, you know, my uh, kids from school something. But I think actually many entrepreneurs just materialize later because of some life changes. So what happened for me is that I had this dream of starting my own thing but I felt like never ready for it. Uh, mm. Perfectionism kicks in and, and maybe I didn't have the funds like really on the side. And I was like, yeah, this is too much risk. I guess being a little bit risk adverse. But then in 2010, I, I got sick. Uh, I found my, I was in, uh, had moved to Switzerland after being in Germany and, and the UK and in Iceland, where I'm originally from. I had moved to Switzerland to be with my new love. Now my hand, uh, I got sick and uh, I got pain in my neck and, you know, kind of like just couldn't work for seven months. 
And my brain was full on though. So it was not a burnout. It was more like a body out or whatever you call it. And I couldn't work for seven months and it gave me a lot of time to think. And I started to think about like, I do have this dream of starting my business. Why aren't you doing anything about it? So self-talk, a lot of self-talk. Right. I still took another job because that felt safer, but I could work in home office. And I think a lot of people have gotten a taste for how that's looks like today. Right. Uh, and I loved it. I loved having the time and the flexibility to just work whenever I, I want to. But this job again didn't last so long. So I lost my job twice in two years, was sick for seven months. And if people are looking for a sign to do something new, I think that would be a typical sign. Like if things are not going your way and things that tend to fall apart. There is something, there's a message in there. And I knew this was the time for me to go after my dream of starting a business. And so I finally did that after basically the universe giving me lots of signs to do it. Got it. How many signs within that same period? Did you have a lot of signs of don't do it as well? Because you already said, you know, it was the security of the job. But was there something else? Was was there a confliction or was it all the way? No, everything pointed to do it. I think everything pointed to do it. Uh, the only thing where I was still struggling is that I didn't have the business idea. Like hmm. I said, what is my business about? And even though I had been a CEO for 10 years, I had also gotten the business degree. I still didn't see business coaching as my, you know, path. So I don't know if any of you have read the book Alchemist by Paul Coelho. It is really a little adventure book. It's really almost written for kids. Mm. Uh, and it's a very nice story of someone looking for a treasure. And they go around the world looking for the treasure and end up, it's a spoiler, spoiler alert, finding the treasure in the backyard. And the same thing was with me. I was, I was looking at all these entrepreneurs and I said, oh, what can I sell online? You know, can I have an e-commerce store, Amazon dropshipping, which is very popular, or can I write travel books or can I take pictures? I'm a serious hobby photographer. And then it took me a while, probably 12, 18 months, wondering what it is that I should be doing until I realized it's right in front of me. I should be a business coach. Hey, what's up, Dream Builder? Have you been getting any value out of this episode? Would you like to get more exclusive content just like this delivered right to your inbox? If so, head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com and you can sign up for the email list and that will give you access to exclusive content and more interviews just like this that's going to be delivered only to our tribe. So head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. And what was the sign that told you that when you said it's right in front of you? Like what? Because there's a lot of people out there with knowledge, right? And they don't, and they're doing the exact same thing of what you're saying. They're, they're seeing all these Facebook ads. And, and nowadays it's more than ever because we are at home, just like you said, and we're just constantly scrolling through our phones. So they're hearing about all of these, you know, rags to riches stories with this. But then... How do they identify what their gift is? Like, is, was there a formula for you? Was there one thing that you recommend for any, anyone who's looking to take your samba or any of that? You just got to get started. I think you do not figure it out by thinking about it. And that was my failure. Like, I thought 
the idea would just fall on my head in the shower or I would be out walking and I would figure it out or I would, you know, but that's not how it works. You just got to start. And I started doing actually the e-commerce thing. I set up a little shop on Shopify website. I wanted to export uh, design from Iceland. And I set it up nicely. I talked to a few vendors. I realized the whole thing with the shipping and returns would be very complicated because it was not a dropship thing. Like they actually kind of all had to do this individually. And, you know, I would have to have stock. And it started to get complicated and I realized this is starting to annoy me. Like, I don't like this part about it, like the shipping and returns. I, mm-hmm. And then I went on Google and, and uh, used Google keywords to see how many people are looking for design from Iceland. And it was so low, the number that I realized, oh, that's not a good business then. <laughs> so I stopped. But I had to get my feet wet. I had to try it out. And I actually kind of think fondly of this time of like setting up the shop on Shopify. And if someone is asking me now, oh, is Shopify easy to use? I'm like, yeah, it's dead easy. You can just set up a shop in 30 minutes. But it was the rest of it that I didn't like. The whole idea of having a company with warehouse or, you know, yes, you can do drop shipping, but I realized I need something else. And the way I figured out the business coaching, it was more like, a frustration. Uh, I was seeing a lot of people not taking action, a lot of people asking questions. And I'm like, this is so easy. It came easy to me, but that's exactly the thing you should be doing. If something comes super easy to you and you're like asking yourself, seriously, people would pay me for doing this. That's exactly what you should be doing. Got it. I love it. Now, talk to now. There's a lot of people that say, "Okay, I could be a business coach, or I could be a, a marketing coach, or something like that." Talk to me about how you got your first clients. Like, was that a struggle for you? Yeah, I, I did so many mistakes, and that's why I created programs basically for someone like me, so that they don't repeat the mistakes. I had to put a button on my website: one hour business coaching. And, you know, I had a degree in business. I, I, you know, had been working as a CEO. Like, why should I be scared of it? But there is, there's something that happens when you start a business under your own name. There's all these demons coming. There's this limiting beliefs. There's all the stuff people told you when you were six years old. It comes back as voices right. in your head. And then you are like, who nervous about putting a button on your website? But of course, then you have to get traffic to the website for a long time. So it happened quite organically. Somebody's just booked an hour with me and I realized, oh, this is cool. But it took me another six months until I actively would say, hey, you can work with me for, you know, and, and had coaching packages. So did you start out because... Many people have that same little voice in their head, and I'm so glad that you brought this up. But did you start out, were you charging? Were you giving, offering your service just for free? And then you'd give them like a, a trial session. What did that look like? I was helping so much over Facebook groups mainly. Uh, and that's where I got probably my first clients from. Like they saw me being so helpful and then they go and check you out. So absolutely, I recommend people starting for free, but it can go a lot faster. You know, when someone starts with me today and has no business, you know, no email list or nothing, I just tell them, find three test clients, you know, just ask around, does someone have this problem? You know, I want to help you solve it. And you get them, these test clients, and they don't pay you anything, but what you are getting in return 
is first of all realizing do I like working with these type of people? Do I like do I like solving this problem? And assuming you like both, you get testimonials. So it's absolutely a win-win to start with free clients and then move over to paid, of course. Got it. And then the second thing that people struggle with is they say, okay, well, how do I know how much to charge? How do I know how much I'm worth? What what do you tell people in that sense? Pricing is a tricky bit. I also struggled with that. I had done an MBA at a top business school and I was like wondering what I should charge, you know, what should be my hourly rate. And my husband said, do you realize that your colleagues are probably charging like between $800 and $1,000 per hour and they're working for Deloitte and McKinsey and all that stuff? Uh, and I'm like, yes, but me and, you know, nobody knows me and da, 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 da. So I was like, what do I pick? And I thought like $100, $200, like, you know, so I ended up doing $180 and I got my first clients, uh, Hundred days per hour, or did you like per hour session? Okay, one hour. But I would prepare for an hour. I would write up the session. I was working three hours, so basically it was sixty dollars an hour. I got my system better into control after several sessions. But in the beginning, it was definitely more like three hours than just selling one hour. But one of my first clients told me to raise my rates. Now, how that happened is that two, three months after I had my first clients just booking one-off sessions, I reached out to them and wanted to see if they had implemented what I told them. And some of them booked a call with me again, and I gave them a free 30-minute follow-up call, which is a smart thing to do in coaching. And uh, she told me, Sigrun, I hired four business coaches. I booked an hour with each one of them. You are the cheapest, but you gave me the most value. You are underpricing yourself. You should raise your rates. No, my a client normally doesn't tell you to raise your rates. Right. Uh, and I was a bit scared, but I was like, oh, she might be right. Yeah, maybe I should. And she gave me the rates of the other business coaches and I looked at their websites and I was like, she really did research for me. So about five months later, I finally got the courage and I said, okay, I'm going to raise it to 350. And just that weekend, an interview appeared in a newspaper with me. My photo was on the cover page in the weekend edition. So I thought, what a perfect timing. And the following Monday, two people booked at the new rate. And I thought, okay, it's okay. Nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. And from there, you just kept trialing it. Did you, did you ask any more clients? So I, I always ask clients, but I just needed this first round to happen. After that, I started to work with clients over coaching packages. I, I don't offer single sessions, but you know, my hourly rate today is uh, $1,500 if someone would ask me. So it's just that in the beginning, it's so hard. It's so hard to understand. Later on, you realize what's the value of working with you. So if I work with someone for an hour, I can help them map out a six-figure business and I know it will be a six-figure business or a seven-figure business, whatever it is. And then you have to understand, okay, is it worth than 1500 that hour? So you stop charging by hour. You're charging for the value of the session. I love it. I love it. Now, one of the things that you specialize in and you've been talking about a lot is how to recession-proof your business. If you already have a business now and maybe you just got it off the ground, what are some tips or what are some ways? Is there a, a formula to recession-proof your business? 
Yes, actually there is. Uh, first of all, I ask people to create a vision of where they want to be okay. 12 months from now. And maybe some people find that weird. What has it got to do with a recession? But I, you need to know where you're going. Like what kind of future do you want for yourself? And from there, you can backtrack. And normally I would say, hey, what's your passion? And let's turn your passion into a profitable business. But in a recession, I don't ask that question. I would say, what opportunities do you see right now? And sometimes people are so blocked, they don't see it. So one of the things I do when I do a boot camp, a live boot camp, doing these exercises, I say, okay, what are you willing to pay for yourself right now? And I have everyone in the boot camp list all the ideas, all the things they would be willing to pay for. So some people would say, I would love if someone would teach me how to do my garden. I would love if someone would help me, you know, with meal planning. I, I have to cook now every day. We can't go to a restaurant. I would love if someone uh, could do, you know, could send out emails for me or could do social media posts for me or edit my videos. Like, the list is endless. And some of these things already exist. Most of them do, but some don't. Some are new things. And very few people are in the self-actualization on the top of the Maslow pyramid. You know, the Maslow pyramid is that you need to have your needs met. Like we need to have food, water. And some people would say, Wi-Fi as well uh, is right. at the bottom. <laughs> Otherwise we can't survive. Uh, at the top of the pyramid, and the hierarchy of needs is like, who am I? You know, I want to be a better person. In a recession, that becomes less important. It's more important, you know, how can I make money? How can I, you know, take care of my home? Actually, people are redecorating their homes and they were wondering like, okay, I'm spending so much time at home. How can I actually make my living room nicer or my office, home office? Well, you're not going to get the architect or the interior designer into your house. No, vi virtually. So these are new opportunities. Like you can just have a Skype call with a designer, show him or her some pictures, and they'll send you over a design. Like these are new opportunities that are just created in a recession. So that's about being recession proof. Instead of saying, okay, I'm a photographer. Nobody's going to book a photography session with me right now. Well, what can you do instead? Can you teach me to take my own pictures that make them look like they were taking in a studio? Hmm. People would pay for that. Right. So I, 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 I get them, I give them a taste for what's possible. And then I said, well, what about you? What does your ideal client read now? And some people said, well, my ideal client doesn't want anything from me right now. Like they are just like totally you know, negative about the whole thing or they've lost their income or something like that. I said, well, then you can shift. You can shift to a new ideal client that actually wants and needs you right now. And you can shift your offers and you can shift your messaging. So there are three ways how people can move about it. Sometimes you have the right offer, but the messaging is off because you haven't tied it in with what's happening right now. And sometimes you have to just slightly move. Some people have moved from private individuals to corporate clients or reversed. So there's always a way to recession-proof your business. Of course, if you're a restaurant owner, you could say, oh, there's no way for me to do it. Well, I must say, I live in a little village outside Zurich, Switzerland. 
I'm very disappointed that none of the restaurants offered takeaway. Now, they could have made a lot of money because I am pretty tired of cooking. So there was an opportunity, but they didn't take it. Now, if you're a hotel owner, a little bit harder, right? So yes, there are businesses uh, where, that are struggling and, and, and there's not an easy solution to their problem. But a lot of people have been able to sur- not just survive, but actually thrive throughout this recession. Actually, my business is doing better than last year hmm. because people are seeing the opportunities of online business. And people that always met their clients face-to-face or did offline events, they're like, okay, I'm going to bring it online because this is not just going to be a few months. I think we're seeing a forced digitalization. I think, yeah, I think next year, you know, there could be more events are going to be held online that previously were only offline and, and much more than that. And I actually love it that some countries, just like Italy, got completely closed off and they've been closed the longest of all uh, in terms of people being home, home in quarantine. This has been such a boost for my Italian clients because finally their online businesses are working. Got it. I love it. I love it. Was there ever a book or was there ever a mentor, somebody like that, that you first caught wind of that you think changed your mindset when you were first getting started in business? One of my favorite business books is Good to Great. And uh, it's a typical, right? Yes, yes, yes. A typical book that you recommend when you do an MBA study, but anyone can read it. It's a pretty easy read. And it gives you five principles of what takes a company from good to great. And I love that book. It, it felt like there was so much research behind it, which I kind of, the nerd in me really loved that this was research. This was not just one person's opinion. This was actually based on data. And then they came up with five reasons why some companies become great and others don't. Yes, I love it. I love it. This has been a phenomenal episode, as I thought that it would be. The one last thing that I always love to ask is there's someone out there that's right now that is inspired, right? And, and they're thinking about how they can take their knowledge and how they could start their own business or maybe how they can even grow their business from good to great but they have that little voice in their head, the one that you spoke about earlier. And that voice maybe tells them that they're not strong enough, they're not smart enough, or maybe they just don't have enough resources. What's the one thing that you say to them to get them to just take action? I think we can all do more than we think we can. Like, that's the thing. Like, you can do more than you think you can do. And the first thing you need to do is just take a tiny little step. It could be just getting that book, you know, and reading it and getting inspired. Finding role models, I think, has really been uh, crucial to my development. You know, I mentioned the first female president of Iceland. I have always looked out for role models and made sure that I have them in different stages. So, for instance, Oprah is very inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, she's too far away. She's like, you know, this is like, okay, it feels like unachievable. And many, many people will give up if, if, if a role model is so far, far away. But I think it's good to have someone who's super far away. And then you have someone closer to you, just two steps ahead of you. And you're like, mm. well, if she can do it or if he can do it, I can do it too. I love it. 
I love it. There you have it. Well, for anybody who wants to stay connected with you, where can they find you at? We will have show notes in the links, but where's the best way to find you? I have a podcast, The Sigrun Show. I'm also on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and everywhere my handle is sigrun.com in one word. Love it. Love it. Well, we look forward to having you on the show again so we can get some more knowledge, some more wisdom. But thank you again for coming on. It's been a phenomenal one. Last thing I want to ask, is there anything that I should have asked that you wish that I would have asked? I don't think so. I think we had a great conversation and it was a pleasure to be on the show. Well, thank you again. And remember, Dream Nation, in the dream we trust. But just as she said, we must take action, even if it's just a little step, because otherwise it will only merely be a fantasy. We'll see you on the next one. That's all we got for this episode. Thank you for sticking around. That truly means a lot to me. And hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one. If you haven't already, the way that you could say thank you to myself and the team is just by heading over to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. That's what iTunes loves to see. That's how we get out there even more. And I would definitely, definitely be grateful for it. I know the team would as well. Do me a favor and head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all because you're our tribe. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.